Welcome to What's Working in Marketing, a podcast for marketers that uncovers what's working across the digital landscape by tapping into the world's best data-backed research and through candid conversations with industry experts. I'm your host, Charlie Grinnell. On this episode, I'm joined by Laura Andriani, Head of Audience Development at DAZONE. Thanks for joining me today, Laura. Thank you for having me, Charlie. So I usually open these episodes by going back to the beginning to provide some context for our audience. And your background is fascinating to me. We met on on LinkedIn. And when I started to lurk you, you had worked at some really, really cool brands, including Workman Publishing, ESPN, and now obviously DAZN. Can you kind of just share a little bit about where your career journey started, kind of how it's progressed, and how you ended up working in audience development? I would definitely say that my career has been a mix of things. Um, I started off in publishing, working for a medical publisher, uh, then kind of pivoted, went to uh, the education world. I was a teacher for four years. Um, I lived in Madrid and I taught English which was a remarkable experience and so much fun. Um, Came back to New York, went back to publishing. That's where I ended up at Workman. Um, And if you don't know, Workman Publishing is one of the largest privately owned or family owned publishing houses in in the country. And I had a really great experience there because I just so happened to be working there at the onset of the shakeup of the publishing world when eBooks were just starting to take hold. Amazon had just, just uh, released the first Kindle, Apple had released the first iPad, everybody was trying to figure out how to use this new technology and publishers are trying to grapple with like, how do we suddenly make our books available electronically? People are starting to consume them in different ways, not on paper, but rather on a screen. And so I was, I was really fortunate to be there at the time when we had to just kind of like figure this out. <laughs> um, and as you can imagine, it was yeah. like really kind of complicated and I, I dealt with like everything from like file conversions and working with um, <laughs> houses in India that were like literally taking apart paper books and scanning them and like turning them into electronic book files um, to dealing with Amazon and saying, we have a, you know, we have a list of a catalog of thousands of books and we want to make them available on your Kindle. And like, how are we going to do this? It was such a, like, just trial by fire. Nobody really knew exactly the right way to do things. We were all like kind of learning as we went and and it was a fantastic experience in that regard. So I, I was there for a couple of years. I really enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. Um, but as somebody who is a huge sports fan and, um, you know, I've been a, an athlete my whole life, I, I obsess about sports ever since I was a little kid, mm-hmm. um, an opportunity arose for me to pivot and go into sports. And I grabbed it because I knew that it was something that I, I would absolutely regret if I hadn't. So I ended up at ESPN. And I worked there for seven years, always on the international side of the business. So a lot of people don't know that ESPN exists outside of the U.S. in in very robust ways. Um, And I worked on the marketing team based in New York, um, basically on all sorts of different marketing campaigns and initiatives um, to drive uh, you know, awareness to drive consumption of our digital properties, downloads of our apps. Um, and again, I just so happened to be there at the beginning of when streaming really started to take hold and ESPN started to launch these products that would allow you to watch something very traditional, right? Mm-hmm. Something that you're used to watching on a television screen on your laptop or on your cell phone. So I just so again so happened. <laughs> right place, right time. Sheer, yes, exactly. <laughs> sheer circumstance just happened to be um, in an industry that was getting, you know, turned on its head. And mm-hmm. so I learned a ton there. I really started to love the idea of um, all that marketing offered and all of the, the data behind being able to understand why people did the things that they did when it came to consuming sports and interacting with their favorite athletes and their favorite teams and, and other sports fans. And so that's really where things started to solidify for me. And I started to realize that this was an area that I found fascinating and that I really loved. 
I then transitioned after seven years at ESPN to DAZN, heading up the audience development team. And that also has just been a really rich experience to be at a, at a company that is a disruptor in the mm. space that is super innovative, that is purely a streaming kind of focused um, product. And, and, and that's a global one. So it's mm-hmm. been um, just a very, very rich experience. And that's where I am. Yeah, I mean, there, there's so much there that, that I, I, I could dive into and ask about. The one thing that sticks out in my head that I see a lot of parallels that I've kind of had in, in my career, and I, I want to get your take on this, is like, you know, you talk, we talked just briefly about like being in the right place at the right time, but it also sounds like you were not, not just once, a few times, like kind of like thrown into the deep end and like swim. And so I, and I think like what's really unique is like, I I feel like a lot of the smartest people that I've ever worked with or or that I've enjoyed collaborating with kind of just have that too, where they're like, I don't really like, yeah, Amazon just came out and we're just trying to figure out how to get books onto Amazon or, you know, like now you can, now there's streaming's a thing, like let's figure out what that is. And I think that there's, do you think there's something there to, to be said around having that, whether it's curiosity or I don't necessarily know what trade it is, but it's this idea of just you're going to get thrown off the deep end and figure it out. Yeah. I mean, I think that is a combination of things. I don't think to your point, it's like necessarily a trait that I have that other people don't have. I think Mm -hmm. it's knowing when you're in the midst of something where there's just kind of this feeling, this like kind of palpable feeling that like change is happening and you can, you can tell that it's happening because two things happen. People get really excited and people get really nervous. Mm -hmm. And when you see those two things happening, you know that like this, this is, it's something, right? Um, And if you can stick around long enough, you start to decide whether it's something that you, you know, really want to get involved in. And because it's something new, I feel that, you know, organizations are always really open to the idea of like, people just rolling up their sleeves and saying like, you know, let me be part of this. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think it really is a combo of things. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and I think like what, what's so unique about your background is you started kind of on the publishing side of things, which then transitioned into digital marketing. And now you kind of sit on like the OTT streaming side of things. Obviously there's still digital in what you're doing in, in your current role, but can you talk a little bit about like that, that transition or that journey, so to speak, and and what you've learned with that transition. And and what I kind of want to expand on there is like, some may think like, yeah, OTT streaming, totally simple. It's just like digital marketing, but I have a feeling that it's not. And as someone who's kind of like touched a little bit of that in the past, I I don't think it is. And I definitely don't know as much about it as, as you do, but I'd love to hear your side of that. Yeah, I mean, I I think there's varying opinions about this. Um, Mm. And I think for me personally, I do not just see it as, you know, oh, it's the same thing just on a different screen. I think mm-hmm. it is a completely different beast. Um, and I think that what you do now with your phone is is so different than what you did even two, three years ago. Yep. And so as the technology adapts, it allows you as, as, a, as an OTT, um, you know, platform, to really like run with what the technology opens up in terms of opportunities mm-hmm. or the technology is not quite there and it hinders you from kind of rolling out new features and things like that. So I yeah. think that there's a certain amount of adaptability that mm-hmm. you have to be willing to, to, to have mm-hmm. um, within that space because in a lot of um, more traditional digital marketing industries, uh, especially from like a you know an audience development standpoint, you kind of have these like formulas that you that you kind of say like I apply this to this project and I know it's going to work. Mm-hmm. I apply the same formula to that project and I know more or less it's going to work. And on the OTT side, because things change so rapidly, not just with the technology but with the amount of other players in the space, the amount mm-hmm. of competition and the different audiences that kind of creep up, you really have to be ready to adapt very quickly. Yeah, it's, it, it, it is much less of a formula. And then I think that like transitions perfectly into the word audience, right? And it's very much <laughs> audience driven. And I think like this idea and, and you know, thinking about the name of, of this episode, if, if we talk about the word audience, and I'm using air quotes here, it feels like that word has, has grown over time, whether it's, 
you know, in people's titles like yourself, or it's the way that companies are organizing themselves around audience groups or, you know, squads or whatever. Can you kind of just talk about like when we think about like audience and how audience relates to marketing, talk about kind of what it means, why it's valuable and, and kind of what specifically you do that's related to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, audience is, you're absolutely right. Audience is a very like popular term right now. It's a <laughs> buzzword. Cool, it's a total buzzword. <laughs> it's a super like really cool word to, to throw around. You sound smart and, when you say that. <laughs> yeah, sure. It's like, sure, audience. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we could play marketing bingo with that. That would be one of them. Oh, for yeah, sure. that and would strategy definitely be. Yeah. And integrated and omni channel. <laughs> Exactly. Engagement. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, audience is definitely, you know, fits in, in that realm of, of buzzwords. For me, audience is really the way that I define it to people when they ask me kind of like, what do you do? And what's it all about? I say, audience is taking a look at every touch point that we have with our consumer, whether that's through our, our streaming service or because they follow us on social or because they subscribe to our emails or because they... Um, you know, they, they follow the athletes that we work with mm-hmm. and those athletes talk about us. It's really understanding like all of those different touch points and then figuring out how do we group those into buckets so that we understand more or less like the trends that we, we can expect um, from those different audiences in terms of the ways that they consume and what really resonates with them, what really pops and what are they not that into. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really understanding a, a kind of a mix of like demographics, of course, but also just behavior and how people react to the things that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and then trying to kind of wrangle all of that with all <laughs> the data that's behind it. Right. Because yeah. there's just literally tons and there's tons so and tons of, of data and you can really get like lost in, in all all of it and, yeah. and trust me like I'll be the first to admit I do sometimes get lost with all of it yeah. um, and just figuring out you know like okay what's what's this, what are we trying to solve for and how can we build a strategy that will solve for that question that mm-hmm. you know that arises out of you know whether how do we reach more audiences um, you know from like a diversification standpoint or how do we find more people like this audience because we know that we're going to need them in six months? Um, you know, there's all different kind of ways that you can slice and dice it. Mm-hmm. And I think what's what's interesting that you said, or, or what comes to mind for me, is is this idea of audience. You touched on both the data side of it, and then kind of like the the softer, you know, brand side of it, or preferences and that sort of thing. And and I think about you know again, using kind of air quotes here, if like the best marketing is a balance between art and science, can you talk a little bit about how audience kind of, or audience marketing bridges the gap between that kind of art and science with marketing and how it brings it together? Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's probably one of the most foundational parts of of my role is being at the kind of the the center of that Venn diagram that you just explained between Mm -hmm. art and science, because in order for those two things to work, there have to be people that are in the middle that understand both that speak both languages Mm -hmm. or have at least like a decent, like literacy and fluency in both um, who can really bring it all together so that one can leverage the other. And at DAZN, what I love is that um, I was brought into the role um, sitting within the data um, uh, analytics and insights team. And so Mm -hmm. I sat like side by side with, um, with, you know, BI experts and data analysts and just a bunch of guys who were incredibly bright and could um, run circles around me when it came to <laughs> crunching numbers. Yeah. But yet I had a team of people who were more like marketing managers or who came from a background of, you know, SEO or, uh, you know, social media marketing. Mm-hmm. And so what I tried to do was sit within this team that was very data heavy, but be kind of the marketing um, extension or the marketing piece to that. Or and translator. this way, exactly, or translator, so that when I would go and talk to um, a content group or a sales group, um, I could kind of I could speak both languages, and I think that that's that for me was like the big advantage of audience sitting within a data team. Um, it just it it got a lot of the the noise kind of Mm -hmm. out of the picture and we could really kind of just hit the ground running and get stuff, um, you know, kind of figured out together. And and that was great. (laughs) 
<laughs> no problem. Um, yeah, why don't you just say that last sentence one more yeah. time? Thank you. Thank you, Finley. Finley, my dog. <laughs> All right, let me back up and try to remember what exactly I was saying. Um, I'll pause just while she finishes barking. <laughs> no worries. I'll give me give me two seconds and then cool. I'll start again. Yeah. So I think that that's basically the big advantage is that I sit uh, within a data and insights group and we cut out a lot of the noise because we can just get things done much more quickly and get ideas um, kind of collaborated on much more efficiently because we sit together and we, we understand each other um, and it just creates like a really efficient environment. Mm -hmm. And it's a, it's a, it's a unique mix, right? Like I, I think I, I talk a lot with, with marketers, whether it's, it's clients of ours or, you know, friends who work in marketing at, at bigger companies and marketing is hard. Like I know, I know it's like, that probably sounds like <laughs> obvious, but, but I think like, you know, it's tech with, with the, with the advance of digital and technology and all these different things, not only are you still having to do the traditional aspects of marketing. And when I say traditional, I mean like, you know, brand, voice, tone, positioning, like all that type of it. But now you kind of have this, this tech layer and there are aspects of that tech layer that can, can inform a lot of that previously uninformed or, or maybe gut instinct or market research work mm -hmm. that was done. And then on top of that, it's like, okay, let's throw like content and creativity and good ideas in there as well. And it's like this hodgepodge of like, how are you taking all these different things that are so broad, pulling them all together, structuring them in a way that makes sense, um, pulling meaning in a, in a way that supports the business, in a way that contributes and provides value to customers, shareholders, you know, other people around the organization. It, it is really a, a, a tough thing, I feel like. And I feel like that isn't talked about a lot, right? It's, it, it sometimes gets pretty siloed into, in terms of tactics. Like I'm a technical expert or I'm a content expert or a creative expert. And there is this kind of like way that you can slice and dice it a bunch of different ways, whether it's art and science by certain area, by certain competency, whatever. I don't know if you agree or disagree on that, but I'd love to get your take. I, I would definitely agree with that. I think that, um, it's almost like not enough to say that you work in marketing because that is, <laughs> it's is like that? just, you might as well just say I work because yeah. it's like, you're not giving any description. You're not giving any context yeah. to what it is because yeah. it is such this like vast um, kind of world of, of different pieces that mm. all have to kind of like harmoniously work together. And like mm -hmm. the truth of the matter is that like, it, it very rarely works harmoniously 100% of the time, right? Absolutely. Like because, especially to your point before, like because there's so much data that's now available to us that wasn't before, um, it can sometimes pull you down because suddenly mm -hmm. you're like inundated and overwhelmed with how much you have available to look at mm -hmm. that you get kind of like blindsided by like, or you get blinded rather by like all of these different pieces that you think might be important you don't want to not use them yeah um so i think for us you know what what i really try to do is like establish at the beginning of, of the project like what is it we're trying to do mm -hmm. uh, what are the pieces that are going to inform that right so you do your exploration and then you figure out kind of like okay this is these are the things we think we're going to need in order to solve this mm -hmm. um and then you go out and you try to see what that data is and hopefully it, it may matches with what your your marketing intentions are but mm -hmm. you can't force it so if the data is not there then you kind of have to go back to the drawing board and rethink yeah. what it is that you're looking for but i know for you i mean like measure what matters like you <laughs> could measure everything under the sun it just because you can measure it doesn't mean that it's something that has to play a pivotal role in what you're doing. So I think a big part of marketing is really reducing all of that noise into the pieces that are the most important yeah. and then digging deep into them. So that's why it's really, it's like you have to be a generalist to understand kind of all those working pieces. But if you're too much of a generalist, then you can't really go deep into any of them. So it's kind of a mix, I would say. Mm -hmm. The thing that immediately comes to mind, which I also feel like is a, a good life motto is just because you can doesn't mean you should. 
exactly. Hundred <laughs> percent. And I think like you know, there, there's something where we reference this a lot in the work that we're doing with clients, and also like building our own methodologies of how we look at things um, when we're doing you know competitive insights and that sort of thing. And and we talk a lot about countability. And, and not accountability, countability. Um, and, and what I mean by countability is like, don't just count th- the easy things that are easy to count, but also don't dismiss the things that are hard to count, right? Yes. And it goes back to what you were saying about what is the thing that actually matters the most and where is the business trying to go? And then how can you link those pieces together contextually to strategy and tactics so that you kind of have this, you know, uh, the, the, the analogy that I use in my head is, is a slinky, right? So like everything is still connected and there is context that like keeps it connected all the way from objective to strategy to tactics. And yeah, I, I go back to like, you know, I've seen stuff in the past where it's like, we did this and we did this and we did this. And it's like, yeah, but like that, none of that relates back to this, <laughs> to the main thing we're like trying to accomplish here. And again, just because you can doesn't mean you should. Exactly. And I think that that's like a really common pitfall because Mm. we all are asked on such frequent basis to put together a deck with a couple of slides that top level show and (laughs) and then you just fall into the same routine of saying, well, you know, I know they're going to ask about these five things. So those are the five things I'm going to show. And, you know, I think one of the one of the cooler projects that um, that that I've been across is um, to your point of like, just because you can measure it doesn't mean you should. And, and the idea of countability is like, we see a lot of people asking, and this is just in the sports world in mm-hmm. general, um, asking so much about social metrics and asking yeah. so much about, you know, what is the sentiment? Is it good? Is it bad? And mm-hmm. it's so easy to use like a tool and go pull a sentiment report from Twitter. But like, what does that mean in the larger scope of things? If you have six people complaining about, you know, your brand, but you have this whole customer service department that by and large has positive, you know, um, mm-hmm. you know, we, we, we identified problems and issues. We fixed them. We told people about it by and large. Those people never came back to us with a problem. It, you have to kind of put things into context mm-hmm. and say like five negative tweets does not mean, the end of the world because five <laughs> negative tweets is not the same as five phone calls that we ended up fixing and people turned into lifetime customers. Yeah. Um, so I think like that's a really good point that you make. Mm-hmm. Well, what, what comes to mind and we actually, I covered this on a separate episode um, and, and it was the, this topic of data literacy. And I actually just wrote a, an article on, on Forbes about this and it's talking about how one of the biggest pitfalls in, in marketing, and I'd love to get your take on this, whether you agree or disagree, is like data literacy. We need to increase the data literacy in people who work in marketing. And so, I, and what I mean by that is I'm not saying like, hey, if you're, if you're an amazing creative person who's like a designer or a photographer or whatever, I'm not saying like become a mathematician. That's like not what, <laughs> that's not what this is. Uh, as someone who, who got a C minus in high school math, like I'm not the guy who's like, yeah, math and numbers and you have to do it. I think it's more just knowing and how can you learn enough and know enough to be dangerous. And what I mean by that is how can you have a solid enough understanding of all this stuff puts together? And I think what you just said earlier about being a generalist, this idea of data literacy, you have to be data literate. And I think about some of the best people that I've worked with uh, was a, one of them was a previous guest on this show, Fergie Cancade. He's, he works at Lululemon and, and, and leads athlete and sports marketing there he, he's not a data guy, but he spent a ton of time and he talks about this on the episode that, that we recorded previously where he's gone out and got those skills so that when he's in conversations, he has the context and he knows enough to, to be able to contribute and understands how it plays into his world. Now, he'll openly say like he is not a data guy, but mm-hmm. that skill set and that literacy has benefited him and ultimately the business. Yeah, I think that that's like a really, really important point to make is that I think the old way or the traditional way of thinking about things was to say, okay, you have this, um, you know, maybe you have this marketing organization or this marketing team within within a larger group mm-hmm. and you have one person who does this thing and one person does that thing. And then, you know, we meet like, you know, once a week or once a month and, you know, each person has their piece of the pie. Yeah. Um, and I think that that, 
when you try to apply it to a business like like mine, the area of, of streaming and um, and and sports media, um, you realize that that like it's really truncated that way. It's really mm-hmm. hard to kind of get things done quickly because not everybody speaks the same language. Yeah, and I say that all the time because I, I really feel like you owe it not just to yourself from your own career. Um, if you want to have a career in marketing and you want longevity, I think it, you also owe it to your peers to show an interest in what they do and put forth some investment of your time, excuse me, to, to understand like how their world works. And I, absolutely, I've done the same thing as, as your friend has done. I've, I've gone through my own, um, you know, coursework, uh, you know, learning things like SQL or, you know, really diving into GA, just areas of, of, of my world that like just having a topical or even like mm-hmm. a basic understanding of yeah. isn't really enough. And so you really should, um, you know, I think you should, you don't have to be an expert, but you mm-hmm. should be smart about understanding what are the pieces that feed into the work that you do. Okay, so like that's the first layer, right? That's the first like once removed is those pieces that feed into what you do. Go and learn some more about them. Talk to people who are experts. Ask them questions. Show curiosity. Okay, now you've just widened your scope of knowledge mm-hmm. one additional degree. And that's going to suddenly make you so much more valuable because you see stuff just like outside of just your immediate world. So yeah, I completely think that that's the best thing that you can do as a marketer right now is to go out and get some training. Um, You know, it could be formal, informal. It could be just, you know, online. It could be in a classroom. Obviously there's so much that you can learn on the job as well. So, Mm. you know, I just, I think that any opportunity you have to kind of expand your understanding of, of how everything works together is going to benefit you in the end. Yeah. One of the things that you said to me that really stood out that I completely agree with and and is something that I'm constantly preaching is language. Language matters. And yes. I, I think, I think within, within marketing, right? Like the, the, we, we taught, we, we alluded to it earlier with like buzzwords and stuff, like getting people in an organization to speak the same language and have a clear understanding of the definitions of the words that are used, whether it's objective strategy tactic or, or whatever it is, like, what do those actually mean? I think is the problem is that's what causes a lot of the confusion and misalignment and and buzzwordiness that we're kind of alluding to here. But if people would just align on language, a lot of that would just go away. Mm-hmm. And, and, and people's lives, I think, would be, or people's work lives would be a lot easier. Absolutely. I think that's like one of the things that I've learned along the way in my career is like, if somebody starts talking and like from the first 10 seconds, like I'm lost, like I have to interrupt and you yeah. know, obviously um, apologize for the interruption, <laughs> but just say like, before we go any further, can you just just summarize for me, like, how are you defining this thing? Or Mm -hmm. to your point, like when you're saying tactics, when you're saying owned and operated, when you're saying offline, Mm -hmm. when you're saying conversion, like what exactly are you saying? Because otherwise the whole rest of the conversation is going to be based on assumptions. Yes. Then you're like, well, we we're so far away from each other at the end of this conversation. Cause I thought you were talking about one thing and you mm-hmm. think you're talking about another. Um, <laughs> so yes, I think the language piece of it, I think um, is a big piece of it. And I think that like, you know, you were saying before, like you, you weren't a great math student. I was a terrible math student. I mean, I <laughs> unite math, 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 non, <laughs> non-talented math people unite. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I scraped by math classes by the skin of my teeth. I was yeah. like, I was a, an arts, like writing languages. Mm-hmm. I loved, I loved music and all of those things. And mm-hmm. I just was not um, the, the math student that you imagine like, yeah. <laughs> it to be yeah. um and yet i work in a world where like i love data and i find it fascinating and i mm-hmm. think it's because i'm able to use the the skill of language to mm-hmm. to kind of move between different worlds absolutely i think about a lot of the times where 
I think I've been successful in my career or I've been gravitate or I've gravitated towards someone who, who has turned out to be really successful, whether it's colleagues or, or that sort of thing. A lot of them had this trait of being able to break things down really simply and taking a complex topic and simplifying it. And so I've, I've heard that before to me, but what's so funny is when I hear that, I'm like, well, I just like, didn't understand it in the beginning. So (laughs) like, like they're like, wow, that's so smart. The way you simplified that. I'm like, I literally just didn't get the complex thing. So, (laughs) so it's more just like my stupidity that has led to me breaking it down into those pieces to be able to understand it. And then the way that I learn it and retain it is by regurgitating it to someone else in a simpler form. Right. But I mean, how many times have you been in a, in a meeting with multiple people and somebody, you know, raises their hand and says, I have a dumb question. And they ask the question, you're like, thank you. I had the same exact question. Like, and it's also not a clearly, dumb question usually. That's you clearly are not dumb. Right. Exactly. You're not dumb at all. We're all sitting here wondering the same thing. So thank you for speaking up. Yeah, absolutely. And so, okay, I want to I wanna kind of make a bit of a shift here and, and talk about something that we talked a little bit earlier about, which was there's no shortage of data or tools or strategies or tactics or any of those things that you can do to market in, in 2020. Like, I feel like we've, you know, as marketers, we actually have it really good in terms of like the stuff that's available at our disposal to use. But on the flip side of it, like there's so much of it, like how do you kind of focus in on, you know, the different, the different things that are going to work best, whether it's in terms of efficiency or effectiveness for your brand. So when I, when I think about like, there's this huge landscape out there, what are some specific elements or things that you'd recommend for marketers to kind of keep top of mind when they're trying to build their insight capabilities, when they're trying to understand their audience, what are some things that come to mind? Yeah. So I think this is a really good question because there are literally just like thousands (laughs) of tools out there. And if you work in marketing long enough, you pretty much get pitched every single one of them. (laughs) And it's, it's not to knock the tools themselves. Like you said, like we, we have the luxury of having this like incredible abundance of technology that can make our jobs easier. But at the same time, you know, a lot of it has an overlap. And so you, you can really start to say like, well, don't you do the same thing as that person does? And Mm -hmm. doesn't this tool do the same thing that tool does? And so, you know, my personal feeling is that like, there's, it's, it's very, very unlikely that you're going to find like one tool, Mm -hmm. for example, or one platform or one service that's going to like check all the boxes and Mm -hmm. be like your one stop shop. I just don't think there are too many industries that, that have that luxury. Mm -hmm. Um, And I can't, obviously I can't speak to, you know, what everybody should use. I think it really depends on understanding your own individual business, what it is that you're trying to solve for on a most frequent basis. Mm -hmm. And then saying, okay, if we had a tool that allowed us to make this easier to do, right, and saved us time, or made things more accurate so that we were making more informed decisions in order to get to that solution. Mm -hmm. I think that's kind of where you start. You almost ask the question of like, what are we trying to solve for first? And then you back into the different options for tools that are going to get you there. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the other piece of it is, and this is just from my own personal, you know, kind of experience is like, if you're going to invest or, or, or kind of like champion that, um, you know, your organization invests in a tool, you have to be willing to make the investment to get people onboarded onto it because yeah. it's great to say like, we have this fancy new tool that no but one uses. Tool's like really hard to use. Right really hard to use and you're trying to get people who have been using something different or nothing at all to use it, you have to almost then become the internal salesperson that mm. champions for that tool and, and, and shows them like why it's valuable so that you can then go to, you know, your boss or your finance manager and say, this is really important. We need this because these people use it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've been on both sides of that. I've been on yeah. sides where we all say we would never be able to do what we do without this. I've been on sides where it's like not enough people are adopting this. Yeah. Um, you know, we have to we have to rethink things. Um, and 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 so I think that when it comes to those like ideas of tools, it's those two pieces of thinking like what is it exactly solving for, and is that is that a is that a problem that like we will encounter repeatedly for you know the medium to long term future, and then 
are we going to really make the effort to get people to use it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I guess that, that also kind of comes with, it's related to a way of thinking as well, right? Like I feel like on one hand, it's less about selling the tool and more about selling the, 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 the strategic approach of like, where are we trying to go before we go buy a tool? And then, okay, based on where we're trying to go, here's, here's the types of inputs that we would need to be able to inform where we're trying to go. And sometimes you have to have that conversation as well, where you're kind of like teaching people how to strategically think about things. And, th- and that's like step one. And then step two becomes like, okay, now that we've like agreed on these kind of set facts, then okay, cool. We can go figure out how to do it. It's, it's, it's putting the what before the how really. Yes, exactly. Yeah. That's exactly it. And I think that's something that marketers get super confused by all the time. Yeah, <laughs> and I, of I've been in organizations where, where, where we've been confused by that. And yeah, when you take a step back, you got to really think about like, are we talking about the what or are we talking about the how? Yeah. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Because there are a lot of great tools out there. But you know, it's just, just because it's there doesn't mean that it's going to be like, deserving of your time to to use it. Totally. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. Exactly. <laughs> Keep going back to that same that's theme. A, that, that's a theme. Yeah, yeah. So not to not to put you on the spot here, but I love getting examples of, of guests of, of brands, either good or bad that are using a, an audience focused approach to kind of cut through the noise. Do you have any that, that come to the top of your mind? I would say as of late, because we are all living through like a really crazy time, I have, uh, there's a brand that I follow on Instagram that I think has just done an absolutely amazing, remarkable job in not just super serving their audience, but almost like redefining who they are in the midst of like a global pandemic. Like I think Mm -hmm. that that is like a a true rarity and it's probably a brand that you may have never heard of, um, but they're called King Arthur and they kind of started as a brand that made flour like for cooking and baking. Um, And if you're, I I love to cook and I'm like a a big foodie. So like Mm -hmm. I've always known about them because their products are really like top notch. Um, And they've been around forever. And so I follow them on Instagram and they have just been knocking it out in the park because they knew that with everybody being home, and having nothing to do, everyone, you know, starts baking bread, right? And then posting to Instagram about it and being yeah. like, look at my sourdough. This is amazing. Yeah. And and they really, I think that they started to speak to their audience in a very um, approachable way. It wasn't mm. like they just took their brand and said like, buy our flour and bake bread with it and you'll have bread for your, for your family tonight. It was all about like, we know that you're strapped for ingredients. We know that the supermarket sold out of these things. How about you make it this way? Here's a recipe. Oh, interesting. Um, here's like the steps on how to make it. And it was such a seamless experience. Like they yeah. would always use like the link in bio because you can't obviously like link within an Instagram post. And I have to say, like, I don't think I've ever clicked a link in bio more frequently <laughs> than I have with their account. Yeah. And then I, of course, it, knowing that you might ask me about this and because I was curious about it and I'm a total nerd, I went into CrowdTangle because I wanted to know yeah. like what their social analytics looked like. Yeah. And it's incredible the spike that they've seen in just like the past couple of five months in terms of like really being able to engage with their audience, putting things out that are well-branded and well-defined. Yeah. Um, so I just think that they are like the shining example of like, how do you adapt to yeah. your audience and super serve them things that they are just going to just die to consume. So yeah. yeah. So I, I, I love that. Number one, I've never heard of that brand and I love learning about new brands. Number two, what I think is so awesome is when, when you first were like, it's a flower brand, I was like, okay, where's this going? And, yeah, like, and, you and thought like, I was going to talk to you about sports and here I am talking to you well, about baking. Yeah, and, 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 and I think, but also like the fact that you're giving an example of, and this is I think the most important piece, you're giving an example of a, a, a product that is not sexy. No, right? like, not at all. I think, about, I think about like it's flour, right? And flour. So, so I think whereas for, for anybody listening out there, like that's actually a really great example because like if this company can do it with flour, 
and you work in another industry that might be a bit more interesting than flower, like <laughs> go, exactly. go check it out and see what they did. Because I think exactly. that, uh, I, I think back, uh, this is probably, this is when Yeti coolers first kind of burst onto the, mm -hmm. the market. Like, I forget what year that would have been. Maybe it's like five years ago, probably longer. But like when I first found out about them and they kind of just came out of nowhere and I was always amazed because I'm like they sell coolers like coolers aren't cool coolers aren't sexy but they did such a great job of of understanding their audience of people who get outdoors and exactly. need coolers whether it's for food or drinks or 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 whatever and I just thought like that was such a great example because it was a non-sexy brand so that when it came to me at the time I was working at Red Bull when it came to me I was like okay, well, we have all this other cool stuff going on. So if I can't, if I can't use like the principles or the elements from this and apply this to what we're doing, like I probably should be out of a job. Right. And I think that that's like the really fun part about like our jobs is that we can be inspired by these small like mom and pop shop brands that are maybe a different industry than our own. Mm -hmm. um, maybe they have a completely different audience, um, at least at, at, you know, kind of first glance. Mm -hmm. And yet we can find inspiration in what they've done and say like, I love how this brand like resonates with me. I like that I feel X, Y, and Z when I see their stuff. Like you mm -hmm. get super excited about a cooler. Like yeah. who knew? Yeah. Um, and yet you're going back to your, you know, your team saying like, guys, they're doing this really cool thing. And like, I think we can take some inspiration from that and mm -hmm. apply it to our brand that has absolutely nothing to do with them. And that's, you know, I love that like kind of sharing and feeding off of each other. That's mm -hmm. always like, a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it comes back to like, what can you learn from people who are doing things well, learning from leaders, you know, looking for inspiration. And, and it doesn't have to be literal. Like I wasn't going back being like, hey, they're pushing out this thing. So we should d just do that. But there were elements of it that absolutely worked their way into what we were doing. So I completely agree. Um, I want to I want to talk about what gets you most excited when it comes to audience or audience marketing for brands today. Is it a trend? Is it a tool? Is it something else? Like what gets you fired up about where things are going in terms of your world? Of, of working an audience? I would say what gets me like super excited is, I mean, working in sports is like, obviously for somebody like me, it's kind of a dream come true because mm -hmm. I just, I love it. Um, but I, I love the, when we're talking about audiences, I absolutely genuinely love the kind of connection that athletes are being able to have through technology with their audiences mm -hmm. it's so much more robust and rich and authentic than it was when i was a kid and you know your your sports idols were like these untouchables that yeah. like maybe if you were lucky in your lifetime you got to see them play live you know at, at the arena or, or you know on, on the field mm -hmm. um and now i feel like we have become so much more like the athletes themselves adopt the technology and can really speak to their audiences in such a one-on-one -on -one way. And so I think what gets me excited is like that one-on-one -on -one that we can start to have as brands with our audience, the, mm -hmm. the idea of personalization and customization and really kind of like providing a value to our, to our fans or to our customers that feels, you know, really natural and really um, authentic. So like that, I love that kind of like relationship building mm -hmm. um, with your audience that, that has become so much more, um, it's more approachable right now for brands and it's a little bit more efficient. Mm -hmm. It's not as costly, I think, as it used to be. Yeah. Um, so that definitely gets me excited. Yeah, one of, the, one of the things that comes to mind has actually been, I've been watching Matisse Thibel, the 76ers basketball player. He started a vlog essentially for being in the bubble. And what, what's amazing is like, it's in, like he has a DSLR and he's in a hotel room and he's at Disney, Disney World like doing his thing, just like vlogging essentially. And you know, what was so funny, I think it's like episodes five or six now. And I just saw like, he was on Good Morning America, he was on Fallon and like, he, he's a rookie who like, yeah, he's good and he was drafted and whatever, but like, he's pretty much just like filming like what it's like to be in the bubble. That's how he started his YouTube channel. And like, he was like, I'm just going to start putting this out. And it was like, within like four or five days, he had a hundred thousand subs on YouTube. And now like when I watched the Fallon interview, there's his YouTube plaque in the background. 
And I'm like, huh, like overnight, boom, he's just like created this amazing thing for himself where he has this audience now, right? And so like, yes, obviously when you play in the NBA, you have that, but this asset that he's building on the side, when he retires from basketball, like he's going to have this other thing that continues, that could continue in the future if he chooses to invest in it to keep him relevant. Right. And, and that's, that's like, so like, I love that example. It's yeah. like perfect. It's, well, it's know. just one that I just thought I, I like, yeah, as you were talking about, it, I was like, yeah. Cause like, I, I don't, I don't follow the 76ers being in Canada, got to support the raps, we the North. So, um, <laughs> but, but at the same time, I'm also not necessarily a huge basketball guy, but when this came out, I was like, okay, where's this going? This is interesting. And now like, I wouldn't be surprised that after they're out of the bubble, he makes like vlogging, uh, he'll continue to vlog because he's seen the power of it, right? It's yeah. instantly raised his profile. And there's so many different things that he can do to monetize that on the side. And I hope if his agents or management team is ever listening to this, <laughs> continue to double down on that. That is a gold mine that you were building yep. right there. A hundred percent. That audience is, is very ripe for, you know, for, for building and, you know, really leveraging for all sorts of like really fun and cool things. And like, that's something that like, you know, I'm sure like, you know, four or five years ago, if, you know, he had wanted to do his own vlog, like mm -hmm. there would be all sorts of red tape where it's like, yep. well, you have to get approval and can't people don't want this. You can't film that. And the idea of like everyone, you know, the, the leagues, and the broadcasters like I think everyone has realized especially in recent months that mm -hmm. like no no idea should be discounted just because you've never done it before yeah. I think you have to have the the willingness to test things and you know you may you may fail it might not be the outcome that you were expecting but like mm -hmm. we are in the perfect you know kind of environment right now to push the envelope and try new things and see what resonates and what doesn't. And I just love that the numbers are there. All of these platforms we use have really robust reporting platforms that mm -hmm. allow us to really crunch numbers and, you know, and, and just do crazy things with, um, with the analytics that are there to understand, you know, all, answer all sorts of questions that, you know, we, we didn't even know we had. Mm -hmm. I completely agree. One of the things that I, I always ask people, and, and this is something that I'm a, I'm a news junkie, but also just a, a well-read junkie, I guess, or, a, or a, a knowledge junkie. How do you stay up to date on, on business and marketing? Who are you following? What are you reading? What are you listening to? Like, I'd, I'd love to just dig into that because that's kind of one of the secrets. I guess it's not so secret, but like, that's how I got to learn a ton of things was like, okay, who do I think is smart and who do they follow? And you kind of yeah. like start to climb the tree, so to speak. So I'd love it. If it, I'd love to hear like, how do you get your information? What are you listening to? All that sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's obviously working, working at the zone. Like there are so many people that I, I just want to pick their brains and I just <laughs> ask them a lot of questions yeah. um, because we all come from different backgrounds. Zones employees are, are from all different places, not just like traditional sports. So mm -hmm. um, it's really cool to be able to just talk one-on-one -on -one with, you know, the people I work with, but from like a, an outside perspective, I mean, I follow for, for all things social, like, you know, people like Matt Navarra, I, I definitely mm -hmm. try to, you know, kind of see what he's talking about. Um, I subscribe to so many different newsletters. I know like the, the Sportico one, uh, yeah. social media today, marketing dive, uh, the drum, um, all of those. And then from like a podcast perspective, I find that, you know, I listen to a ton of podcasts as I'm sure uh, mm -hmm. many people do, hence us being here together. <laughs> um, but there's like, you know, again, the drum has a really good podcast. I think they talk about really relevant topics from a media perspective, sports pro media and recode media are, mm -hmm. I think like really, really good ones. They get like super top notch C-suite and, and very senior level people talking. And those are the people who like, I hang on every word that they say because <laughs> I, I just, they have this like robust experience that I just like, I want to like just soak up everything. So yeah, those are just absolutely. a couple of them. Um, yeah. But, I mean, yeah, there's no, there's no there. shortage. <laughs> no, not at all. It's overwhelming sometimes. <laughs> yeah. So, so as we kind of start to, to wind things down here, do you have kind of, what's one piece of advice that you'd give to, to marketers as they're moving ahead kind of in, in 2020, in the current, you know, circumstances that we're within, keeping in mind kind of everything that we've talked about, what's the one thing if people kind of take away from, you know, you and your experience that they should be keeping top of mind? 
the thing that I would recommend to anybody and, you know, that I try to follow is just to be very open to, to change. Mm. Um, I think right now we're all just living in a very, very strange place and nobody, nobody has like a map to, to kind of say like, you know, at this point we're going to be here and at that point we're going to be there. I think we all just have to stay very open and very curious Mm-hmm. Um, I think that those two things will will allow us to, as marketers, really um, draw inspiration from each other, um, and 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 not necessarily get mired down in like you know being upset that that somebody moved our cheese, so to speak. You know, like <laughs> that the way that we did things before might not be the same, and so I think we just yeah. have to be really open to to that inevitable change that's 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 coming our way that we're living through right now. Yeah. One of the things that I always say to our team is, is get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yeah, and it's like such absolutely. a cheesy, it's such a cheesy phrase, but at the same time, I'm like, well, if you want to work in, in marketing and or digital or internet, like it's never going to be stable or the same. Like there's always <laughs> changes always coming. And so that's kind of what, that's what I feel like attracts people to it. So uh, I, I completely agree. Yeah, I, I definitely think it's, you know, it's, that's a perfect way to, to sum it up. It's just like, it's going to be uncomfortable and you have to just kind of like be willing to adapt to, to the way the world is right now. Um, and, and stay optimistic about it because, you know, Mm -hmm. I think we're all like, we're all living through crazy times, but like, we also are all looking to like, hold on to, to each other and say like, you know, Charlie, what are you doing? How are you going to handle this? Like, I have this issue and I don't know what to do about it. Like there's just, there's no room for ego right now. I think everyone just needs to just like, (laughs) talk to each other and, and, and try to help each other out and, and be a good human you know, and, and just be a good person. Yeah. Just, just be nice. <laughs> on, on <laughs> Goes that, without saying. Yeah, absolutely. On, on that note, what's the best place where, where's the best place for people to get a hold of you online? If they have uh, any questions for you. I would say that, that LinkedIn is probably the best place. That's yep. probably where I, where I spend the majority of my time industry wise trying to follow people and, um, and understand what what's what's kind of resonating within my my world of uh, of digital marketing. So um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a good place to start. Absolutely. Well, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to to chat with me. I learned a ton from from chatting with you. Anybody out there listening, if you have questions for Laura, hit her up and Please. and ask ask away because you just have so much great knowledge and and wisdom to to share. So I just want to thank you so much for for taking the time to join me and uh, hopefully talk to you soon. Yes, absolutely. Thank you, Charlie. This was like a lot of fun. Love it. Good host, Charlie. Really. For show notes, other episodes, and more content, check out rightmetric.co. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks for listening.